Welcome to the very latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and I have, as always, three members of the Forever Blue squad with me. Big thanks to charleslewy.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast for this season. They're a chartered mortgage advisory service, so go on their website, charleslewy.co.uk, and you'll see lots and lots of advice on there, lots of guidance, the contact phone numbers, etc. It's run by a blue called Dave, so if you're thinking of buying a house or you've got family who are going to buy a house, get on the website, give them a call and tell them you've listened to them on Forever Blue and that will do it. Go down a treat. Uh, thanks very much too to Tameside Radio where we host the podcast each and every either Sunday or Monday depending when City are playing. Uh, so with me tonight are Harlan, Adam and Tony. Tony from Hot Click Marketing who sponsors the uh, the vlog as well so thanks very much for that Tony. Uh, now we're going to talk later on in depth and I make no apology for this on VAR again. I did <laughs> I did do a survey on my Twitter account which was uh, reacted to by two and a half thousand people this afternoon which I think is a reasonable sample size whilst not definitive and I asked a specific question and I'm going to come to the outcome of that and get these three to react to it soon. We're also going to talk about the game against Chelsea about the upcoming games obviously there's a Shakhtar on Tuesday evening and then there's next weekend's trip to Newcastle and there's a few other big games coming like United and Leicester and Arsenal away uh, we'll also talk about the repercussions potentially of Sergio Aguero's injury and, uh, and, and, and maybe get chatting to the guys before we started Sergio Aguero's ultimate replacement, so that might come into the uh, the equation as well. So there's lots of things to talk about. There might be things that uh, brought up by the guys, but before we start, one thing I wanted to talk about was VAR. So I'm going to say my little bit, and then I'm going to talk about the Chelsea game. So hold your thoughts on this, guys. <laughs> but what I wanted to say was that I've seen a lot of reaction after the game from people coming away despite the fact that it was a 2-1 win against Chelsea. Arguably, it should have been three. Obviously, VAR ruled out the Raheem Sterling goal. And people coming away saying that they were really, really upset about the, the end result um, because they were still anger, angry. You know, City had beaten Chelsea. They should have felt elated, but they actually came away from the ground feeling angry and upset because VAR once again had spoilt the celebration. Now, I've thought about VAR a lot in the in the last few months. I was against it before it came in. I hold my hands up and say that. There are different types of VAR. VAR goal line technology, because that is VAR, I'm 100% in favour of. I think it's brilliant. I wouldn't mind at all if they brought in VAR along the whole touch lines, all four touch lines, the two behind the goal, the two down the touch line. When a ball goes out for a throw-in, goes behind for a corner, rule it by VAR. No problem whatsoever. The problem with VAR is when it becomes subjective. Now, we have a referee at the moment who referees the game. VAR is supposed to mean v uh, Video Assistant Referee. But what we're getting from Stockley Park and in the British system of VAR is that the Video Assistant Referee isn't an assistant. The VAR, the ah part of it, actually makes a decision and overrules the referee, overrules the linesman. How can that possibly be right? If there was a TV screen on the touchline and the message came in the ear of the referee, as much to say... We think you've made a clear and obvious mistake. We don't want to influence your decision. It's your decision ultimately. But we suggest that you've made potentially a clear and obvious... You may have missed something. You may not have seen it clearly. Go and have a look at it on the TV. If you think you have made a mistake, you're entitled to overrule your own decision. If you still think your decision was right then fine, no problem, it's up to you. No, we, we don't make the decision, we're just here to help you. We're an assistant, video assistant referee. But that's not what's happening. There are so many other connotations to it, like the new handball rule. At, our, at Liverpool, we know City, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it on the podcast, there were two potential handballs in the build-up to Fabinho's goal, including, by the way, Bernardo Silva. And we have the new stupid rule about if it hits an attacking player and it doesn't lead to a goal, that's not handball. If it, it's, I, I, I'm completely confused and don't understand it. However, we also saw Otamendi, in theory, give a handball against Schalke in the Champions League last year when the arm was right next to his body. We can talk about the Tottenham game. We can talk about all sorts. But when there's two 
ball to arm contacts and neither of them are seen by VAR and are not questioned and completely bamboozled by that. When you're talking about offside decisions like the Raheem Sterling where you're talking about one frame from when the ball is headed forward by Gabriel Jesus as to whether Raheem Sterling's armpit is offside, I find that utterly, utterly ridiculous. That is, that is a subjective decision. When you watch Formula One, as I do, and you're measuring one thousandth of a second between two pole sitters, that is technology that is fixed on a certain goal line, on a, on a finish line, whatever you want to call it. In football, it's not like that. The lines move all the time. Sometimes the two lines are going, or the two players and the ball and everything are going in different directions. How can that be so accurate that it is factual? I find that totally amazing. Um, you can also talk about, which somebody pointed out on Twitter to me today, that when you look at perspective, I was talking to Harlan about this when we drove up up the tram line coming from Manchester towards where we've been we're, we're recording today. That when you look at a tram line as it goes into the distance, the two lines appear to get closer together in the distance. But when VAR lines are drawn on the pitch, they're always parallel from the start of the one side of the pitch to the other. How can that possibly be right? That's not what forced perspective is. It just makes me, as I'm sure you can tell from my rant here, very angry. So I, I, I throw all that out to start off with because I thought <laughs> it's been a long time since we had a cheesy rant. <laughs> why, why did you invite us on? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is why I invited you on. We will come back to this, and you will have. I, I'm going to sit down and just enjoy your views after a bit. But I had to get that off my chest. Right. Let's start now. First of all, with the performance against Chelsea. Lots of people worried about that game, including me. City went a goal down, came back, 1-2-1. Forget the controversial decision for now. Let's just talk about the game. I was so impressed by that. Give me your thoughts on the game. Your Um, turn to speak now, Adam. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Yeah, well, I I was impressed with the character because when we went 1-0 down, I was thinking, oh, now here we go. Um, So I was really impressed the fact, you know, we, we got beat by Liverpool, so we must have been down. We've come back and then we're getting beat in the first 20 minutes. Like, oh no, here we go again. But the players, they they carried on doing what they were doing. I I didn't think we played great really yesterday. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, singing everyone's praises. Um, But I just felt like Mares showed a bit of brilliance and that and that saved us a little bit. I think we should have finished more chances or actually created more shots than we did from um, from the amount of attempts uh, or, or final third amount of possession that we did. I know we, we only had something like 40-odd percent possession uh, on on Saturday, which is the lowest ever of a Pep Guardiola team, which is, which was, oh, I found unbelievable. Games. Yeah, 385 games, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think we played, played particularly well, so I'm not going to say we were amazing, but I'm really pleased that Mara's got that goal. And uh, yeah, it just showed good character that we that we came back. But I'm not, I haven't got a real strong opinion on how on how we played. To be honest, I'm not. How do you feel Chelsea play? Because um, I'll be honest with you, the first 45 minutes or so, I thought, what an absolute cracking game this is. And and I I tweeted out at one point, it felt like both teams knew that this could be a definitive game in their season. If Chelsea had won, then they would have felt that they were right in the title race. If City had have lost then a lot of people would have written us off in a title race. So it ha- both teams were absolutely... There was no question in my mind that Chelsea were like trying to hold it or maybe play for a draw, and neither were City. And watching two great sides go toe-to-toe like that is always my favourite game of the season. That's what I thought it was, which made the win even more impressive. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I, I said about about 35, 40 minutes in, this is, this is a really good game, this. At half-time... Lads were saying we're playing rubbish. This this is a rubbish game. I was like, well, you're saying actually what you mean is we're not playing great. The game actually is really good. Chelsea held held onto the ball really well. I felt they controlled the tempo of the game actually in the first half, and and they looked more like we usually look when when we're playing at home. They they, they were playing the ball on the halfway line. We were a bit cautious not to press them too much because they were pressing, they were passing through our press pretty well. So, and, and William got the ball a few times, he was just running straight through uh, and we just we just couldn't get anywhere near him because he was, he was piling through. And that was because, and that was in the instances where we did actually press them. 
Um, I, I just felt like we were sort of stuck. We didn't know whether to go all out and press because they were going to be able to pass through us, but we equally didn't want to sit because that just gave them the ball all the time and made sure that they, they could then throw the ball up to Abraham who'd be able to take it on his chest. And let's face it, when it's Abraham versus Fernandinho, who's not the biggest lad in the first place, it's always going to be difficult for him. I'd have started Otamendi, which is a very strange thing to say, maybe, but I would have done. But yeah, I, I, I didn't think we played amazing. I thought Chelsea played really well. I was, I was impressed with them. Um, but yeah, I think we sort of we, we were level. I, I didn't think we played as well as we're capable of doing, but I thought Chelsea played at the top of their game. You mentioned Fernandinho, though. He got an awful lot of praise. I mean, what did you make of it, Harlan? What, Fernandinho's performance in the whole game? Yeah. I thought that we... Well, I agree with Adam 100%. I think every City fan agrees that we weren't at our finest yesterday and um, there's, there's no two ways about that. Um, a lot of praise has to go to Chelsea. You know, they came and, like Adam said... Um, they brought the game to us you know they dominated possession at the Etihad the only team to do that in Pep's reign I think that says a lot about them I really admire what Chelsea have done I admire what Lampard's doing there and I think that a lot of people wrote them off this season and um, we clearly saw yesterday that that's not the side that, um, that, that they are they are a good side but um, I think we grew into the game I think early on in the game we looked a bit shaky I think we were expecting to be um, to be to be challenged a bit by them because of the amount of quality they've got in there uh, Willian always seems to come to the Etihad and perform. Uh, he never seems to back down from a challenge um, against us. But a bit like Adam said, they were they were beating our press. They were finding lots of space. There seemed to be too much distance between fullback and centre half as well. Uh, little gaps for him to run into. And Abraham seemed to have got this idea in his head a bit like Ad said as well that Fernandinho and and, and is is smaller. Stones is nervy. I think he dominated the both of them early on in the game. Apart from a couple of times where Fernandinho got the better of him. Um, but I just think that we lost the midfield battles a bit too much as well yesterday. The individual duels in midfield, I think we lost them. And you look at what Fernandinho won at centre-half and he won almost every duel that he had. Um, had he won them duels in midfield, I think we'd have had a lot more attacking opportunities. We'd have been able to attack them a bit more. We'd have created more shooting opportunities like Adam said we needed to have done. And I think we'd have scored more goals in the game. Um, Rodri was OK. He wasn't outstanding for me this season, he's not been outstanding. He's been very good going forward at times. Defensively, not that great for me. I think at Anfield, he was very suspect. I think his stats do him, do him, do him more justice than his performance does sometimes. A bit like Stones, his stats cover up the actual performance. Um, I like him. I think he's great. He's tall. He's composed. But he doesn't get the tempo going. He doesn't give us that drive in midfield that I think we need. And against Chelsea yesterday, we needed to be ruthless. We needed to win the ball back early. We needed to hit them on the mini counter. And we needed to be um, be punishing, really. And for me, in the game, we weren't. And I think that did come from the fact that we were missing ruthlessness in midfield. I'd have played Rodri centre-half next to Stones um, and Fernandino in midfield. Once we went behind in the game, uh, I felt that Kevin De Bruyne started to look like the old Kevin De Bruyne when he was driving forward. Um, uh, whether it comes from that adversity of having to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, when I actually thought he played as well as probably any game this season. What did you think of the game, Tony? Um, in terms of the performance, it was an average team performance kind of marked out by individual brilliance. Um, Mares and De Bruyne, for me, uh, were to probably of the better players out of our team uh, yesterday uh, but for me man of the match was Fernandinho um, I think it could have quite easily been 2-2-3-2 two, 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 um, loss rather than us winning that one if it wasn't for Fernandinho uh, which is why I disagree with the whole kind of uh, podcast squad unfortunately where everyone always says Fernandinho needs to go into midfield for me if he wasn't in that back four even if he was in midfield anything that gets does get past him we're just going to leak and he needs to stay in uh, central defence just to marshal and do what he has been doing and he does seem to be doing another Vinny at the moment where he's found uh, a resurgence in uh, centre back not that he was uh, lagging at central midfield but um I do think he had a great game yesterday. I think in terms of the overall performance, though, there was just something... It's hard to put it on because we've had a few games this year where we've just not ne not necessarily turned up on the day. The players have... Obviously, <laughs> they've turned up, but the players have um, just not necessarily communicated and clicked what we've seen in previous years where that they know where that ball's going to be, so they make the run prior to it, whereas now we saw it yesterday with, um, I think it was Silver and Sterling, where Sterling thought he was offside, he played the ball, Silver played the ball through to Sterling, and Sterling then um, 
stopped because he thought he was offside and it was something similar again with uh, Liverpool where the handballs that you mentioned earlier Aguero he stopped because he thought it's handball we need when did we stop playing to the whistle it's you know rule number one when it comes to football that we all got taught at Sunday League play to the whistle you don't know you know until it goes carry on playing yet for some reason whether it's overconfidence within the players in terms of they think they can read the game that well that they know the whistle's going to go so we're just going to stop we need to snap out of it really because Sterling needs to make that and then force that decision obviously we'll come on to VAR and whether it would be the right decision or the wrong decision but he needs to force that decision from the referee rather than going well I'm offside let's leave it and I think there was just little things of miscommunication that we just seem to be struggling with in games if we look back to Norwich at the time I said we missed De Bruyne but looking back now it's all did we or were we just on that off day where the players don't seem to be clicking um, I don't know what it is this season where we're missing that and it could be Fernandinho in, uh, you know, controlling it from defensive midfield because it is Rodri's first season and we know that it takes you know, generally a player a season to adapt to Pep um, so it could be that that we're missing him because again De Bruyne's goal came from a Fernandinho pass so are we missing his distribution in defensive midfield Possibly, but at the same time, can we risk taking him out from uh, as a centre-half? In my opinion, no. On that tone, just want to jump back in there. I 100% understand probably why you disagree with what I said with regards to Fernandinho being moved. This is why if we had two Fernandinos, it'd be the yeah, most amazing thing in the whole wide world. Um, the, 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 the thing for me is that um, I, I'm just thinking more of... if Well, I'm just thinking more on the lines of if we had more ball with him in there and he was dictating the tempo... Chelsea or other teams would have less ball, therefore wouldn't have to worry about them getting past him and then leaking. Um, I'm just thinking more on the front foot, the fact that he would determine a tempo, he would um, make the correct pass out of that holding midfield role into an area where we were less likely to lose the ball and then before you know it, we could be two or three goals up and then... On that though, for me, I don't think necessarily our issue so far this season has been the front foot, I'm going to, and I am going to contradict myself, but I'll explain hopefully. Mm. Um, one of the issues that I've had this season is we seem to be creating all these chances and not scoring, but we're getting these chances. Mm. So my issue isn't necessarily how well we're doing at the front foot. For me, it's that leaky defence. I've always got the confidence, especially in a pep team, that we're always going to try and outscore the opposition, whereas I'm not necessarily as confident we'll always keep a clean sheet. Last year I was. This year, it's well, even I've noticed in the vlogs, everyone started to say, we'll win, but there'll be a goal. It'll be 2-1, it'll be 3-1. Last year, people were saying 3-0, 2-0. So that kind of lack of confidence at the back, for me, is more important why we need him there rather than going forward because I think whilst Rodri's distribution isn't as good I think you've got the abilities of De Bruyne Bernardo David that they can all make up for that distribution pick the ball up deep and take it back I mean for me Sterling although he didn't have a great game yesterday he had a great defensive game yesterday so again you know it's down to me the defence need we've got to well, sure it up, essentially. I just think Ferner playing in there is protecting Stones and not Amendi and whoever else plays in there a bit, though. I think that, you know, if, if you get where I'm coming from, it, they're not mm. having to put themselves in the firing line because Fernandinho will just do their job for them. I think that if we played Fernandinho in all the midfield, they'd have to perform. I think it's too easy for Otamendi and Stones to go, well, it's all right, Ferner will play next to us or Ferner will mop up or he'll do the job there. And then we are losing him in midfield. And oh. then Rodri's getting a... I think I think one of the problems here is Rodri kind of knows now, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, Tom, he, he a bit like Walker did before Cancelo arrived when Danilo wasn't really spoken about as being a real rival to him I think he's a bit comfy in there I, I, don't. I really genuinely think that because if we look at the last couple of games Gundo's played there when he was injured obviously but then even if we look at half time uh, sorry just after in the second half where we took Rodri off and put Gundo on so, and Gundo's played well there so mm. I think it's whilst we don't necessarily have an out you know um, on the books defensive midfielder Gundo, um, he can play there and has played well there. So I think he's put pressure on Rodri in terms of that position. Um, and I think for someone that was rather sceptical on Gundo for the first couple of seasons, I think he's started to make that position his own as well. Rodri picked up some sort of an injury. I think the manager said after the game that it it was as much to do with cramp and stuff like that as anything. Mm. Um, so hopefully he'll be okay. And same with David Silva. Sergio Aguero, though, looks a bit more of a serious one. A muscle injury. Obviously, Shakhtar's the game in midweek. I suppose there's a good chance he'll miss that and maybe he would have missed that one anyway and he'd have played Gabriel Jesus because it's, it's a different game. But maybe Sergio misses Newcastle uh, and then there are 
games coming up not too long after that Burnley away for example and maybe Sergio will still be out maybe we'll come on to that a little bit later on but just before we move off the topic uh, Riyad Mahrez you said played pretty decently in that game obviously Bernardo Silva um, didn't play because he was suspended do you think that Riyad Mahrez has now done enough because he's there was a quote apparently I was talking on Sirius FM an American sports station and they threw a, a quote at me which I hadn't seen myself which is that Mahrez had said to the Algerian media while he was out away on international duty that in quotes and if this isn't an accurate quote I'm only re-quoting what I've been told by Sirius XM and I've got to trust what they're telling me they said that uh, Mares had been quoted as saying maybe he'd made a mistake by joining City and I, I, if that's true it'll be because he's not been a regular from mm. the start and still isn't seen as a maybe a first choice and if there is such a thing but has he done enough now that when Bernardo's available for the next big game that Riyad Mares starts it's a difficult one for me to answer because I will answer it as saying yes, but that's only because I prefer Bernardo in the middle rather than I prefer mm-hmm. Mares on the right. So yes, Mares goes on on the wing simply because I prefer Bernardo, um, and I don't think Bernardo plays his best as a winger um, attacking forward. Sorry, so. Um, and on yesterday's performance, I thought Mahrez had, you know, that goal was phenomenal in terms of individual brilliance. But then there were times in yesterday's game that I thought he was the Mahrez we signed in the first season where he was just too greedy. I saw Kevin getting frustrated with him at times of pass it, stop going for the shot and that side of it. And that's sometimes why he doesn't necessarily get in the squad above Bernardo is because he is too selfish and not necessarily selfless enough. What about you two? I, I would, I've always preferred Bernardo in the middle. Uh, said that from last season, the legs that he gives us. You know, just think about the game against Liverpool where he beat the record for mo- most distance covered in the season. He beat, he beat his own record uh, for distance covered. We needed legs in that midfield uh, in the midweek. They've got, they've got Kante in there. They've got Jorginho in there. They've got legs. We didn't necessarily have that. David Silva for me, you know, obviously he's probably the best player I've ever seen. But now... He's not in my first choice eleven. Um, I, I just I'd have Bernardo over him any day, and I'd have Kevin De Bruyne next to him, and have Mares out wide. That's my strongest eleven. Um, and even I've not been someone to to say advocate um, Phil Foden getting loads of minutes and get, giving him all this time um, purely because he's Mancunian. But I think you know I was saying thirty minutes into that game we were getting run ragged in the midfield. I would love Phil Foden to have come on and, and started chasing players as soon as he came on. The first thing he did was run around and run around. All right, you can say maybe he's going a bit aimlessly because he passed it round the back and passed it past him. But he's gonna get to those balls. He's gonna make them rush. And David David Silva didn't break into a, a sprint. I didn't see like Foden did when he came on for the whole game. He just didn't. That, but I know that that's not his game. But we needed that game. But we needed that running around for me. Yes. One thing that I did notice with David yesterday was how he controlled the game from midfield. And obviously, he's always controlled the game with great passes. But I'm talking vocally here in terms of he stepped. He was. I mean, I know he had the armband, but he stepped up as a captain. It was noticeable. I watched the game on TV. I know you lot were there. Um, but it was noticeable from TV how much he was actually controlling um, positionings and that side of it. So although he wasn't necessarily necessarily integral in the game he was in terms of our, how we were performing especially in the second half however I do agree that for me I looked at the team sheets and thought it was a shoo-in that Foden could have started simply because he knows a lot of their players very well from the England under 21 setup so oh, yeah. you know Tammy Abraham etc um, and I just think it was a game that if you were going to start him then and say that you've got this confidence in him etc Chelsea at home was for me one of the perfect ones to do it because it was youth with youth and if anything it was um, aging legs yesterday that they got you know the uh, rings were around them yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you 100% Adam um, intensity work rate um, Bernardo Silva adds it doesn't he you know and he's got that creative nose as well that I just think would work perfectly with De Bruyne in there with well one of Rodri Gundogan or Fernandinho behind. My my first choice would be Fernandinho in there, Gundogan second and Rodri third in, in that three. Um, Mares for me, I mean, last season I said that he'd come good this season. Not had as many minutes as I think he should have had this season. And that's primarily because Bernardo's played on the right. I'd have played Bernardo in the centre a lot more this season, give David Silva less minutes. Um, I think Silva's played in games that he shouldn't have played in. And we've suffered in them games um, because of that at times. And that is primarily down to the fact that we've not been ruthless enough in midfield we've not driven enough we've not been quick enough the transitions haven't been quick enough um, but I think that Mares gives us that 
you know, Tony said there that he can he can be a bit selfish. You know, a lot of wingers are greedy of that, but it genuinely happens when the player genuinely believes in his you know, own mind that the game isn't going the way it should be going and they need to dig deep and, and give it something themselves and inject something in. And had Mares not have had that mindset about him yesterday, he wouldn't have scored that goal, I don't think. So I think he took it upon himself yesterday to create something special and have a bang. And to be honest, I know that our style is beautiful to watch, but at times we don't bang it enough. And in games against Chelsea like that, you know, you have to bang it. De Bruyne could have played an extra pass, didn't he? banged it. There was no guarantee it was going in the back of the net. It took three deflections in the build-up. It took a deflection before it went in. It was getting blocked. It was getting blocked, but he still cracked it anyway and it went in. And we score from it and a goal's a goal. And sometimes I think that we've got to play a bit more dirty. We've got to scrape through um, in them areas of the pitch and we've got to get them goals in the bag. Before I get on to VAR, which we'll, we will come back to, there's two other subjects I wanted to discuss. First one, you mentioned when we all gathered together to walk down to, to the studio, which was Sergio Aguero. It looks like he's going to be out for a little while now. Uh, and obviously there are some big games coming up. Um, you can look at the, the bigger picture if you want and take it further into the future. But how much of a blow is Sergio Aguero's absence going to be? And and obviously, the, the one thing none of us want to happen now, presumably, is that Gabriel Jesus picks up the knock in the next few weeks while Sergio's recovering, because then it's it, not that it's impossible to win games without a, a nominated striker. Look at what Spain did in winning the World Cup and whatnot a couple of years nine. ago. But nevertheless, I presume none, none of us want to be strikerless going into <laughs> this uh, into December. No, I, it, it's a blow, but I don't think Sergio's been playing to the standard he has done over the last couple of years. He's scoring this goals, year. but he's not playing to Literally the standard. Literally about to say that. So you look at his stats, you know, he's scoring all these goals, you think, oh, yeah, you know, he's playing really well. Some would say that's a striker's job, he's got to score the goals. But I think it's more than that. Uh, I think he needs... He, he doesn't give us the movement that Jesus gives us. He has been doing over, over the last two years. He changed his game, didn't he? There was a period where... Jesus came in for him uh, and Sergio was dropped. Sergio changed his game and became a more all-round striker and became more like Jesus, but more clinical and more experienced. It seems like he's gone backwards a little bit into that striker that Pep drops in the first place for me. He's scoring goals, but he's just not having that effect on the whole game that I think Jesus has when he comes on. I think when Jesus comes on, he's looking lively. A bit like I mentioned Foden doing, he's chasing around. He's looking for things. When Chelsea have got the ball, he was chasing it down. He's trying to stop them from making those passes to break through the midfield. And I just think Aguero isn't the miss that he... He won't be the miss that he has been over the past couple of seasons. He's not going to be as big for us. I think Jesus can step up. He should be able to step up. He's been here for a few years now. I know he's still young, but he's been playing in this team for a, for quite a while and at some point he needs to step up. So now's the time, isn't it? Um, I disagree because for me, Sergio, whenever he's not in the team sheet, is a worry for me. Um, I get Jesus gives you the movement and I understand that, but for me, a striker's not about movement, a striker's about goals and I want somebody clinical out front and this is where how we got onto the conversation earlier was that if... We won the Champions League at the end of this season. Would Sergio hang up his boots and off he goes? Because then that's, you know, he's won the Champions League. And if he did, who do we replace him with? Now, Jesus is there. And don't get me wrong, I think he's got ability and I've seen that in him. But over the last couple of seasons, he doesn't seem to have got any more clinical. And in games, the reason why Sergio is seen as such a big game player in, you know, 93-20, etc., is because he is clinical. If that was Jesus at 93-20, he wouldn't have put that in because he's just got this natural ability to know where the goal is. Um, but that being said, I think this season he's been slightly, slightly off. But then in saying that, so for example, he was slightly off when uh, their keeper kind of pretty much passed at him. Any other season, he would have lobbed him, that would have gone in, it hit the bar on this occasion. I think that's just been the start he's had to this season, but it only takes him one game to get a goal and then he's on a run again. And we've seen that in the past with him where he's had two or three games and people are saying, well, Pep's going to send him out the door, he's had enough of him. He rests him for a couple of games and then he comes back and it's the old Sergio. And for me, he's just, well, he's Sergio, isn't he? I don't think he can, uh, if they're both fully fit, he's always the first one on the team sheet for me. On the subject of Sergio then, and these things all probably tie in together, 
Um, we saw that uh, Leroy Sane and Americ Laporte are now back at the club and are getting nearer, even though at the press conference ahead of the Chelsea game, which I was at, Pep said that both of them were still two to three months away from actually returning. Uh, on Sane, the rumours of him going to Bayern Munich continue. It looks like it's going to be around about 100 million or more than that, possibly, if he goes to Bayern Munich. And the elephant in the room remains FFP and City having to negotiate this. Maybe they are thinking now in the future of when Sergio has gone. Maybe they're looking at David Silva's retirement next summer. And obviously, they may well be looking at the difference now without Vinny Company in the squad. So you can see why they would want to recruit you know, or, or, or bring into the club some money uh, to, to then create a pot. Because there is a perception out there that City can sign who they want, but clearly they can't. So they have to create a pot if they're going to do that. So therefore, if the money comes in from Sane, that gives a chance to go out and sign a Kylian Mbappe or somebody of that type. If it, I'm not saying personally that he necessarily is the one I'd go for but he's that type of reputation so is that the, is that the long long game for City is that what we're seeing yeah but I specifically think Ian that if we're to sign Aguero's replacement he needs to be signed while Aguero's still at the club so in training he can tell this player or that you know not dictate what this player does because then that it's that player's career it's that player's City career he'll do what he wants to do in a City shirt but Aguero can if you want to call it hand over the baton to this player and say this is what this club expects this is what this fa these fans expect so you're ruling out Gabriel Jesus even though Adam seems to be I'm not putting words in your mouth Adam but more in the in the feeling that Gabriel Jesus can succeed and maybe a, no, no you don't think that I don't I don't think so I think he can, he can succeed in for three or four games while Aguero's out but in terms of the long term replacement I don't think he's at that standard you know is he 22, 23 24 next isn't he is he that, that is 23, unless it was going to be Mbappe who is world class already at his age and he's a complete abomination he shouldn't be as good as he is the age he is I think we need to be signing someone who's about 26 Harry Kane someone like that someone who's 26 or 27 has got years under his belt he doesn't need to grow at City he's, he is the the man he comes in he scores those goals like Aguero does now and that, that's that's it for me. We buy, maybe not the finished article, but cl very close to that finished article. Um, and Jesus perhaps could be the person after that. But I don't see Jesus being the man to take over Sergio Aguero at all. But it's, apparently Pep, Pep might do from reports. But I So here's the next question, right? This, this week, uh, before the Chelsea game, two-week gap, of course, um, it felt to me that there was an undercurrent of rumour that Pep was in his last season or wouldn't necessarily go beyond his current contract, which is 18 months. And Pep came out at the press conference ahead of the Chelsea game as if he'd planned it and made a, a very robust argument to say that not only was he going to be around for a long time yet, but if the right word came from the owners, he'd extend his stay. Now, the sceptics would say that that was a preordained thing to head off the, the, uh, the rumour. The non-sceptics would say, that's music to me, is that means he's happy, he loves living in Manchester, and he's going to be here long term. Whatever City do, do to replace Sergio Aguero and replace David Silva and replace Vincent Company. The, the the player, if I was the player sitting down with Pep, I'd be saying, are you staying here, Pep? How long are you committed? Because well, you're asking me to sign a four- or five-year contract. I was just about to say that. I was in the press that? today, wasn't it, saying yeah. that he's uh, stalling signing his contracts because he wants guarantees that Pep's still going to be there um, before he signs. I think that says a lot about Sterling, though, as well, Tom. Because if you're looking at the fee, well, the, 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 the wage budget that has been touted for Sterling's new mm. contract around the 400 pounds mark which is extraordinary uh, for a player of, of, of that age still as good as he is um, you look at that and you know he gets called all sorts by them and everybody else that he's a money grabber that he's greedy this that and the other if that's true and them headlines are true that he's stalling on a 450 grand a week contract because that gaffer isn't going to be at the club it says a lot about the player doesn't it well I'll come back to Sterling in a minute but how do you feel about what, what's your instinct and what's your feeling about Pep? I've always thought that he was going to see out the rest of his contract, to be honest. Um, the only question I have this these days is, is it this year or next? Um, originally, I've always thought it was next, but according it's to the next, press... The end, no, no, it's definitely the end of the right, okay. season. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I think um, I've always said he will see out his contract and with, we would then be his longest club that he's been at. But even if he did that, he's got 18 months to go from Christmas, yeah. from, from the end of the year. A player signing a four or five year contract or Sterling renewing for a, to, to, to take him to four or five years, we're already in that period where... You know, yes, he stays. Pepple have stayed for five years, but a new player coming in might only have get eighteen months or a year with Pep before Pep goes. Is that significant, or do people now come to Manchester City because they think, no, this is the club. It's not about Pep, and if Arteta or Pochettino or whoever it is takes over, that won't make any difference because City are where they are now. They're not. They're not that project, that growing pod project anymore. They're already there. So, so where, where are City, Where do you think the players that City will be aiming for? Thinking that, I mean, <laughs> impossible question to answer. But what do well, they think? I think it depends. Um, we touched on this, um, me and Adam and Will, before we uh, started recording. Was if we win the Champions League at the end of the season, I think that's incentive for people to come, to players to come. That you've won the Champions League, you can then, you know, it gives you them that um, prestige. Um, hi, Paul. Uh, it gives them that prestige that you know the club has won um, the Champions League. So they don't necessarily come for Pep. Whereas every other player that we've signed previously have always said. I've wanted to play for Pep, I've wanted this. And that's a difficult one to balance out because if you don't have that draw, it's money. And we've had mercenaries in the past and for me, I'd rather see I want to play for City or we you know, we walk away from the deal. Um, but I do think that the press have a big part to play of whether Pep stays for longer or not because that seems to be what wears him down the most is his press conferences and that was you know a mark of his time in Spain, in Germany. He always seems to have this thing with the media and it's potentially why there is always so many rumours and so many um, negative um, questions asked in his press conference potentially to why you know to grind him down to make him want to go. Um, but you know, I'll leave my tinfoil hat for another day. <laughs> on the on the Sterling then, Ian, for example, or any other player for that well, matter. Well, before you, you talk about Sterling, because this is a Sterling yeah. question, so you can expand yeah, on this okay. as well. I'm going to really throw one in here because somebody <laughs> said to me the other day, who will remain nameless, the best thing City could do at the moment with an aging uh, Sergio Aguero, an aging David Silva, and the absence of Vincent Company to create this pot of money is to sell Sterling right now because no. now he's at his absolute highest value. Everybody thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, the person who was telling me this doesn't believe that to the same extent that everybody else does. So that thinks that Liverpool did it, this old Coutinho, this old Suarez and created this huge pot and brought in players like Salah, etc. And look how it's lifted them. And other clubs have done it as well. You could argue that Tottenham did it with, with Gareth Bale by raising their big amount of money. Would it be that red, radical for City to go, right, OK, Raheem, we'll, we'll cash in on you right now and create this big pot of money and then we can really strengthen this squad? Well, it's a, it's a stick or twist scenario then, isn't it? Do you stick with him or do you let him go? What, what's, what's, the, what's the long-term plan? If this pot is what we need to create to sign players and... What would you do? And that's what I'm asking. What's I, your opinion? I, I love Sterling. I can't so imagine can, next even season... Even if somebody came in and said, 200 million for Reed oh yeah, Sterling. 200 million quid. His market value at the moment, 240. No, I just mean I love him, but 200 million quid. You, you're daft if you turn 200 million pounds down for somebody that isn't guaranteed to replicate this form for the next five years. Do you know what I mean? Sterling's at the, at the stage now where... Maybe he is, you know, people criticise Messi, Iniesta and Xavi. The only reason why he scored so many goals is because of them. If these players started to move on or not perform, would Sterling perform? Was that have a knock-on effect from player to player? Is Sterling reliant on certain players, giving him assists? That kind of thing. Does he create enough for himself? Aguero used to do that. He doesn't do it as much anymore. So it's just as easy for Sterling to stop doing what he's been doing this season. It, it, I don't know, would I sell him for 200 million? Yes, is somebody going to offer us 200 million for him? No, because we got offered 70 million for him and bailed the other week. So, oh, so, so we think. But listen, if somebody offered us 150 million pound now, Sane went for 150. He's just come down to 150 million now. I mean, know. obviously, the, the reason for me asking this question is not because I want to sell Raheem Sterling or create rumours. <laughs> it's merely because of the FFP restrictions and looking what other clubs have done. So when Liverpool sold Coutinho, and that was 120 million or thereabouts, wasn't it? A lot of people thought, "How can you sell him? He's like your best player." 
Now, Coutinho hasn't really worked out to the same degree that everybody thought he would where he's gone. But what he did do is he brought this huge injection of cash in, which meant that they could spend on other players, as did with Gareth Bale at Tottenham. It's happened elsewhere as well. So it can happen. So do City need, in this situation, to sell one of their crown jewels? Let's do it in a really positive way to create this big wadge of money that can then bring in youth to replace the ageing and it sticks in the throat to say it but David Silva, Sergio Aguero and Vinny who's gone now Yeah I, I think we do if that is the case that we need to build this pot of money we haven't got this magic money tree type thing that we can dip into if that's the case FFP is going to restrict us we need that money then I think Sterling will want to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona he'll want to play they are the two biggest clubs in the world for me Any, if anyone comes no matter what club you're at if Real Madrid or Barcelona come calling, you want to go to him. Um, I think he would. He would. He said in the summer in a uh, in a little talk that he did uh, about about racism. They asked him about you know whether he'd like to play uh, play abroad. And he said yes, I'd love I'd love to play play abroad at some point. We know he wants. We know he wants to go there. Yeah, we'll go back to Barcelona as well. Yeah, we we know we know that he he does like he likes being the centre of attention. He's doing it in the right way in terms of the racism, but he does like to be that centre of attention. He would love to be the main man at somewhere like that, and he knows that City aren't. The Real Madrid stand, the Real Madrid the step up. So yeah, if they give 150, 150 million, 200 million, I'd buy the hand off at that. Take that. Sterling would be happy. We'd be happy. Sane clearly wants to go. He's now someone made a point that he's not been he's not been to the games, he's not been supporting the the players like um the other lads that have been out injured for a for a period of time have been doing as well. He looks like he's already he's been using the German doctor and not our Barcelona one. He clearly looks like he wants to go. Fair enough, you know, he's done he's won us two Premier League titles, he's been brilliant, fair enough. Let's get hundred mil or as much as we can considering he's got a year left in his contract. Get that, so there you go. So that's what that's hundred million plus two fifty, there you go. It's a decent pot there, two fifty two fifty million. You can invest that. I know I know that the prices of players are gonna be high now, so if if you want to really replace Vincent Company properly, you're going to have to pay 70 million maybe for a centre half, 78 million for a centre half. Then you're going to have to do David Silver as well. You have to pay another, another 65, 70. Then yeah, or even 150 mil for it. I'd, I'd have Kylian Mbappe or Harry Kane, so that's 150 mil gone. But that is what we need to do. If we're going to if we're going to buy those players to replace Vincent Company and David Silver, I think we do need to sell. Those two players. And I think they'd be okay to go. If you wouldn't sell Sterling for a, a world class um, central midfielder, a world class striker, and a world class centre half, I think you're daft. It, it's In a which risk, case, though, isn't it? of course, it's a risk. <laughs> Yeah. Here, comes mean, yeah. um, here comes the daft guy. Here comes the daft one. I've been sat here shaking my head. <laughs> but I mean, there's a couple of things that we've picked up on. Yeah. Completely disagree with Adam there that Real Madrid is a step up over us. I think that. Um, look at it. Look at the club. But that's that's you growing up with Real Madrid at their pinnacle. I think if you're a player playing now. Are you going to go to La Liga and play for Real Madrid in terms of La Liga? And I get the draw for Spanish players, I understand that. However, for English players, the Premier League, even for European players now, the Premier League is the pinnacle of football. And I think that we've even seen, you know, Portuguese internationals playing at Wolves, etc. These aren't players that wouldn't get into some squads in um, Serie A, La Liga, etc. So I just wanted to kind of rebuttal that one simply yeah. because for me, um, I get why people, you know, were say Real Madrid are a big club, etc. But you know, United were a big club. Let you know, <laughs> look at them now. So I'm not saying that you know they're that bad. Um, Real Madrid aren't as bad as United at the moment. But for me, City um, are a big club. And then we come on to selling Raheem. For me, it's a definite no. If we're going to sell somebody, we can sell Sane. Um, I don't necessarily think Sterling's uh, one to be sold or replaced. Um, I've I'm a huge fan, um, so I'm a bit fanatical when it comes to uh, Sterling. I think from what he's been through press-wise, life-wise, um, and to his improvement under Pep, I think for me he's the first name on the team sheet. When it comes to David, I don't think we need to replace him. I think we've got a natural replacement in Bernardo there, and then Bernardo's yeah, backup enough. is Foden. So yeah, yeah. do we need to spend that money? Probably not. 
Central defence, agree. We do need to uh, look to strengthen there. And attack, as I said earlier, we do need to strengthen. But would I sell Sterling? No, because if I look at... That's Tony. Well, <laughs> last season this season, for me, he was, also this season so far, he's been our best player. So why would we no, gonna... I agree, I agree, Tony. But, he is a tremendous player. And this season, we wouldn't have caught without him no big club sells um, the best players and that's you know I know you were saying about Coutinho before but if we look at the Coutinho example it took Liverpool nearly three seasons to after or two seasons after Coutinho to win the Champions League and actually fight for the Premier League so are we going to sell our best just to reset ourselves by a couple of seasons just for the sake of and I think we've got enough kids at the moment you know I'm really excited about Braff um, he's been looking really good in the EDS Benabe, um, Hayward Bellis in the back, Gomez. So I think for me, I'd just like to see a bit more of the youngsters blooded so we have, you know, we can see a bit more where we're at with the squad. But right now, going back to the other thing, if, if Aguero's injury is, say, a month thing, I'd personally, myself, tactically, play Sterling up front on his own over Jesus, that, almost central. Was it Anfield last year that he did that? Yeah, I'd play Sterling, up, yeah. I, I, he's clinical, he's quick. If he, if he breaks the lines and he gets in behind many defences in the Premier League, I think he's gone. There's nobody catching him. There's not many centre-halves catching him. Um, but then and then that, gives us, that gives us a space on that left-hand side to, to bring maybe Foden in as a, as a left-winger or a left inside or even, forward or even something. Even um, Jesus on the left because he can Jesus play on the, on the left, on the and, left and he has front. got the movement to do it. Just to be clear, I don't, I don't want to sell Sterling. <laughs> I, would I, only sell him. Sell him. I would only sell him if that's what we need. If it's the fact that we literally can't go out and buy an Aguero replacement without coming up with £150 million from somewhere. If it's the only way to do it, then, yes. then that's that's what we've got to do. to do. But ideally, yeah, you know, if we've... We might budget aside £150 or £200 million for this summer. We might have managed to work it out in the... You know, in the balance book, we don't know what the, what the finances are like at the club to that level where they're keeping stuff back. They might be doing. So if we have got that £200 million there, then... Great, but if we haven't, then 200 million for Killian. There you go. There we go. Financial figures were released, of course, this week. 10 and, million uh, profit, and, right? and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> suggest that there's 200 million pounds sloshing around anywhere. Anyway, I did promise you the chance to have your say on VAR, and uh, I did uh, a poll this afternoon of which two and a half, over two and a half thousand people responded, which I'm really grateful for everybody that contributed to that because there's no point, I used to work on, on the radio and uh, we would do polls on air and uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say that sometimes 10 or 20 people would ring in <laughs> and you would get a sort of this many people think that percentage wise and I, I always although I knew that the numbers were not great I thought, is it really reflective it's just a few people have rung in two and a half thousand people isn't Everybody in the ground. It isn't huge, huge numbers, but it's a bigger number than you would often get we for said things like, like this. Here at Stand, didn't we? Yeah, and, like and that, it, I mean, if you think about some of the polls that are done in, uh, you know, now for the the national polls for the elections, sometimes they sample five thousand people, which is only double this, and you get a national poll out of that. So I think two and a half thousand isn't bad. So this was the question that I asked, and and I very carefully phrased it. I started with the word seriously because I didn't think didn't want this just to be seen as a flippant poll but I said seriously are you considering not attending games in the future because of VAR and then I sub sub con, sub subbed it if you like by asking putting another sentence in you surely wouldn't walk away from supporting Manchester City would you so this was specifically aimed at City fans and it was specifically asking if you will walk away from attending games not that you'd stop supporting the team you know yes you can still support them on the TV you can still go to occasional games but would you would it make a difference to your match going experience and, and regularity now of that two and a half thousand, sixty-three percent said no. Of course not. Yes, I would. That would make a change to me. Might consider me stop going. Thirty-seven percent. Now I think some of those people, and this is not being disrespectful to those people, many of which might be listening to the podcast. So thanks very much for your views. I'm not going to ridicule or, or demean what you're saying. I wonder how many of those though might have been emotional ones who might not really go through with it, but a bit like a protest vote, want to say it. But still, even if 37% isn't accurate, let's say it's 20% who carry it through. Because we had Andy Savage, 
who came in here and was on a previous podcast. Go back and find it. I'll put a link out on Twitter for anybody who's interested in that. Who, who's actually stopped going because of VAR. Mm. So this isn't idle. There's another lad called Mick Thompson who's told me he stopped. And, and I've come to people who said, I am absolutely stopping. I am not renewing my season ticket purely because of VAR. If 10 or 20% of the people who said that stop going, and especially if that's reflected in other clubs as well, that is going to have a major impact. Now, I know that you've seen, Harlan, mm. comments from people saying, what sort of a fan are you if that's going to drive you away? We were in the third division, you know, and we still kept going. We're not talking about tribalism here. I'm asking your opinion on VAR. So, having sort of heard that, that does that surprise you, that figure? And how do you feel? Because you're all match-going fans. Well, I've got the actual quote from the person on Twitter. I won't mention who they are, but somebody put... To the bleep fans, um, well, to the bleep city fans threatening not to renew their season tickets next season, let me know, please, because I know plenty of people who will snap them up through whatever the bleep is thrown at my team. I'll be there to support them. That's pretty strong. Yeah, that's strong, but I've also heard the strong arguments the other way. So, where do you three stand? I've um, said my bit. Per- personally, I, I support VAR still completely. Um, I do think it needs tweaks. Uh, I think the margin for error needs to be accounted for in things like offsides. Um, It's highlighting issues that lie in the actual rules and not VAR. So there are some instances where the rules need changing, but VAR is just highlighting them. So let's Um, take offside. Let's start with offside. What rule would you change? Offside. So we know that there is a a margin for error in in frame rate by so many zero point something millimetres. So what I'd do is I I would thicken the line to that margin for error and I would say that if the player is inside that line or outside the line whichever way you would like to do it that would then determine whether it's offside or onside because the margin it would be the frame weight would mean be the, the margin for error wouldn't wouldn't uh, have an impact so it would be like 10 frames or something like that so or it would be it, whatever that's, that, that millimetre yeah. is the margin for I error I saw someone do the calculations online I think it's 7.5 inches the error in yeah. terms of the frame rate and stuff like that but my simple solution would be change the rule so it only focuses on the feet because I don't get this whole armpit and you're offside you can't score your armpit what about you, your head? Yeah, but if your head is marginally over the line compared to your feet, you can't. Your head can't run quicker than your feet can, can it, to get to the ball? So but your head that, can be further ahead than your legs when you go and head it. It can be, but at the same time, you're the that's then down on the defender and his positioning in terms of why you're that far ahead of him when you both if you're both your feet are the other side of the defender but your head is the other side then I think there's only Harry Kane that will probably qualify for that one in terms of height wise <laughs> but it, I just don't think that as the offside rule stands VAR is fit for the offside rule and I'm a huge fan of VAR in terms yeah. of implementing it and having it in the game but at the same time I just think that it's just highlighted too much flaws within the uh, the rules um, and we just need to strip it back down and account for errors. So I think I, I'm quite... VAR, in, in terms of offside, I'm happy with the way uh, it's run with offsides as long as we were to account for that um, that possible frame rate, that, that, fail, that I, failure I, rate. I that's, can, that's my only issue with it. I can really. see your point there, Adam. I, where I would go slightly further because I'm not in favour of VAR, but I'm prepared to not be a dinosaur and accept it if it works correctly, because my mantra has always been clear and obvious mistake. So as far as I'm concerned, if you've got to draw any lines on the pitch, then that isn't a clear and obvious mistake. So it still goes no, back to me that... Clear and obvious doesn't apply to offsides. Offside is not subjective, it's objective. It's you are either offside or you're onside. Clear and obvious is with it, regard it, to it, subjective decisions yeah. like handballs or like a tackle that goes in. Offside is offside, not offside. The lines are drawn correctly. If, if the so, equipment you know. was, was absolutely super accurate... It is. So the camera is always absolutely in line. It doesn't have to be in line because they adjust you the can, lines. You can measure exactly when the ball left the head or the foot of the yeah, person well, passing. The error this is the where you're, you're, you're edgy. So to me... Let's not talk about the frame rate and it, the margin it, for error. If the referee goes and looks at the picture himself on the touchline and somebody said in his ear, we think you may have made a clear and obvious mistake, yeah. he shouldn't need to see lines drawn on the pitch. He goes over and goes, yeah, I've made a clear... <laughs> He's a, of course he's offside. What am I thinking? Decision made. You don't need lines. So where do you draw? Where do you draw? Like, clear and obvious can't apply to offsides because then how? 
do you do it at a knee? Do you do it at a, a thigh offside? A little bit of the bum? How how offside do you need to be to be offside? I think you need to. I think you need to have daylight between between you. So what you a bit like you with a line, a bit like you with a line. Yeah. I think you would have a line with like a, a, a an actual distance with a key at the bottom. So so it would it would represent a yard would represent this much width from the yeah. line, and you would put the line in between the defender and the forward. And if if the line fits between them yeah. at that distance, then he's off. But then the once one, again, the that, that's that's a, di- a small distance the other way. So that's you're thinking you're saying, well, he's going to be offside. It's going to be that much, that much daylight, an inch, a half an inch of daylight between offside and onside. That's not clear and obvious either, is it? We don't need clear and obvious. We need offside, onside. As long as the technology is correct, with the accounting for that margin for error, I don't care if it's a fingernail offside. He's offside. But then that... it's, red, it's right or wrong. It's red or black. It's not. It's not subjective. It's not. It's nothing to do with clear and obvious. It's offside or onside. But then that's the problem: is that VAR isn't getting right calls. So Sterling wasn't offside yesterday. He was. He was offside. He was. His shoulder was offside. And the line was drawn. It showed it was Yeah, but then if, if you take saying, that, then you look offside. at the defenders. His ass and his arm was over that line. So by that point, he's um, playing him on. And you can say I've heard the um, well. To be honest, the crap saying well, actually, it only goes off the um, defender's feet, but it goes off any part of the attacker's player. I, and I thought that doesn't sound right. So I looked yeah, at it, and that right. that's not the rule. So from that side of it, it's got the decision wrong. But. VAR isn't supposed to get decision wrongs, and that's my my issue with VAR is it's just been implemented very poorly, and we've tried to run before we can walk on it. I think that when it comes to offside, it needs clarifying. I think when it comes to handball, the whole rule needs to change. I think we need more consistency, and it needs to be led from the ref. We need touchlines uh, yeah. monitors to be used. The ref needs to say, well, actually, and own up and have a mistake. Go, hang on, I'm human. I'm not too sure on that. Let me check VAR if he's in doubt. Or if it's obvious that he's made a mistake, then say, well, hang on, through his earpiece, you've made a mistake, just have a quick review of that one and see if you agree. I just don't think that we've implemented it the best that it could be and that we've just gone, oh, right, it works at the World Cup, let's just try and do everything. Um, And I think also when we're having a look at VAR is the transparency of it. So when we look at uh, La Liga, when it's shown on, because I've heard obviously on the podcast quite a few of the crew always say that, um, well, it's done for TV, it's done for TV. But it's not because it's shocking even on TV. So yesterday there was two challenges on Aguero. Now apparently they went to VAR, but we weren't told for the people watching on TV. Never mind. Obviously, I know in the ground didn't have a clue either. But what I'm saying is, it's not necessarily for people on TV because they're sat there looking on Twitter as well, going, "Well, what's going on here?" So I think it just needs transparency we need that video to see what's going on in the VAR room even if we can't hear them we need to be able to see what's going on but even then and I hear what you're saying Tony uh, I was watching the United game this afternoon and uh, they made a decision in that game where you saw the pictures of Stockley Park and we were watching them in theory making the decision although we didn't actually know what they were looking at we could just see them on the monitor and then the commentator I think it was Rob Hawthorne on Sky actually went the goal's been given and at that point, the referee hadn't pointed for the goal yeah. and neither had this thing come up on the screen. So th- how can the commentator for Sky know before anybody else does? Someone there monitors. It's on a monitor for them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't yeah, be. No, the commentator shouldn't know before the actual players on the pitch. But I think along, along what Adam's saying, if we were to all just go, right, you know what, from now on we'll just accept that that is offside. So we all just said the Sterling one... The Firmino one, the Sterling one yesterday, say that's off and we just accept it and go, do you know what, that's off now. For example, that, that, that's it. Um, it's the inconsistency, I think, that's the major problem. I think the inconsistency of it is yeah. the thing that's getting people's emotions het up more than the actual offside decision itself. People, the fact that some teams are getting them given, some aren't. And there seems to be this conspiracy there that may or may not be there, but people seem to be conclusively judging that there's a, an agenda and a you know a, oh there's millions of people out there who are the completely convinced that uh, and 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 you know they will say this is all rigged for Liverpool to win the title now um set benchmarks in and then you know and, and the, and they've the, got the, it right then. now if if i if you can convince me and i don't want you to by the way if you can convince me that this is being manipulated that this is being done deliberately to give liverpool an advantage in the title race or to give or there's some other agenda going on here then that's when i stop going to football i don't want to know if this this sport is now 
not is is corrupt and is subject to this. Um, so by all means, if you can prove to me, you know that we heard the theory. We we mentioned the theory on the podcast a few weeks ago that at the Liverpool game the VAR wasn't working in the first half. That this hasn't come out. Uh, it has never been proven. Uh, but if that is the case, that's that's why I said if that is true, that is a huge story because that but, questions then the integrity of the sport. And I still want to believe because that's why I go that this sport is honest. Even if it's if it's sometimes mistake-ridden, it's honest mistakes. Yeah, I I just... Uh, when I look at Twitter and I see all these people saying that it's rigged and stuff, it's uh, it's like, you know, when you see on the BBC and you get, you get like, a flat earther on or something and you, like, look at them and you're just like, are you an idiot? Like, honestly. I, I You know, everyone's entitled to the opinion and stuff, but my opinion is that there is no way that, that that's the case. If these are mistakes, these are honest mistakes. These are just issues with VAR and the way it's being run at the minute. It's almost like an experimental season that we're going through at the minute in terms of it all. And I just think that whether you agree with the way that it's ran or it isn't, and whether the mistakes are being made or they're not, they're not being made with any agenda behind them at all. There'll if be loads of people just, listening to you, Adam, it's going... absolutely pathetic, to be honest. Terrible. Yeah, but Adam, you can say that, right? Pathetic. I, get, I mean, I'm in agreement that I don't think there yeah. is an agenda. However, you can say, you know, um, that you think it's kind of the tinfoil hat brigade in that yeah. sense, but then we only have to look at recent years of Serie A, match-fixing scandals, um, and across Europe in terms Italy's of some of the leagues. dodgy, though, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Come on. <In> general. <laughs> Well, you can say that's down to Italy, but then we can have a look at other leagues that it's happened in as well. So it's not beyond repute when it comes to football. It's not whiter than white. There is evil forces in the game that if they can make money by corrupting it, they will try and corrupt it where they can. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that these people who are saying this are delusional or idiots to use your word in that <laughs> sense um, that's going to be a bit more they diplomatic I, just, I um, think they're idiots I, I, they're like saying, idiots. I don't agree, I don't agree with do that you, opinion do you think this season I don't know, there's been any manipulation with regards to frame rate whatsoever to try and make it make, make the offside look worse than it was no not at all no no, no manipulations going on with videos at all in my opinion I don't think anyway I've not seen that it definitely hasn't but I just yeah, if you call me naive call me whatever you want it's but that just I just can't imagine that happening at all. It just seems like a load of City fans who are just wanting to blame someone. Oh, let's blame it on a conspiracy. That, which is exactly just, just how I see it. Really. Well, we've got to, I mean, personally, I think one of the issues I've got at the moment with VAR is people calling for change. I think we've just got to suck it and see this season. Um, I think if come New Year where they say, right, everyone's played each other once, so for the second half of the season, we're going to change the rules. So, for example, if it hits the hand and goes in, it's no longer handball, and then another team gets that as a goal where we had it disallowed at Spurs, it's just not a fair competition. This is so for you me. you get 19 games if we were to review it all and then go again for the second half of the season with a review no I'm saying that's what I don't want it was just that was um, I think it was the Premier PGMOL meeting where they said they were going to review it and when they were going to introduce changes in January they've now decided they are going to wait till next season but this is part of the problem is that I think after each game week they're seeing issues and going ah okay maybe we shouldn't have given that we need to do this for the next game week so we're losing that consistency and I understand where people are saying you know it's affecting their love of the game because of the raw emotion but that that being said, yeah. this was all said Spurs' first game of the season, yet everyone was still jumping up against uh, when Sterling scored, not thinking VAR, etc. So by trying to make it better, what you're basically saying is they're in theory making it worse week on week. Yeah, uh, to, as to, it to, to the eye, yeah. I think this is a, an argument that's going to go on and on and on. So we'll leave it there. I'm going to throw one more quick question in, even though we've slightly overrun for our normal amount of time for a podcast. But uh, Jeff Durbin, former commercial manager at City, um, was messaged me and I noticed it and he said, he was, re- what, never mind VAR, he said. What about all the people who left early yesterday in a big <laughs> yeah, game oh, yeah. against Chelsea? And I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there might be people who walk, arguably, who when Sterling scored, didn't score, whatever you want to call it, left the stadium thinking, that's it, 3-1, walked out, didn't realise they got back to the car and turned the radio on, that it was actually disallowed because it took that long to decide it. But even at 2-1, as going into stop, I saw people leaving with 10 minutes to go. No. And he was furious. You've got to see the game out as a fan. The players needed us for the last 10 minutes yesterday. It was a tense 10 minutes. It reminded me of the 10 minutes against Liverpool all last year. What if they get stuck in traffic though? What what, what if, I mean, I saw a guy going up with 
you know, with um, with with walking sticks. So Surely he's obviously you set thinking it aside. You set that got time it, aside. You expect that to happen to on a match day. No, I think I you set that aside on a match day. You expect it to happen. Personally, I stayed to after the final whistle, clap them off until the last player has gone off the pitch. But that being said. I don't like seeing uh, people going five, ten minutes before, even 15 minutes before, as I've seen in the past. But at the same time, I understand it. Um, so when I go with my dad, not too often these days, unfortunately, um, but when I go with my dad, uh, because of his legs, etc., we leave, or he insists we leave, seven minutes before kind of kickoff, because that's what he needs to do kind of medically to get out, get a seat yeah. and whatever that's else. That's fine, one-offs but, and stuff like no, that. But that no, that's, but that's what I'm saying. But, but no, that's what but I'm if saying. if you've got though. somewhere to be, a, like a, a reception or something like that, then that's fair enough. But if it's a consistent thing, you see the same people every week, 19 games a season, you add it up, Ian, it's, you know, it's 190 minutes. I'm going to throw this one in as well. I mean, at half-time, sometimes, from my position in the stand, I walk up right to the back because I either want to get a different angle for filming, filming people coming off for the vlog so it's not the same look every time, or I, I want to get to a particular part of the ground. So yesterday, I did a vlog that featured the Ardwick, the new pub, which we haven't even talked about today, that City have opened, which we might talk about on a future podcast. But I wanted to get there at half-time to get some fans to react, and I knew it was on the other side of the stadium. So I was right at the back, right next to the concourse, and although I didn't leave viewing the pitch until the fi- half-time whistle went, um, I, 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 I glanced into the concourse and it felt like there were hundreds of people on the concourse and, and when I looked at them and I, I didn't want to look at them for long because I wanted to watch the game, they didn't seem to be that bothered about the game. They, they weren't the queues. They were, they were chatting to each other. What are you doing on the concourse? There's a match here. City are leading 2-1. It's on a knife edge. And you're on the concourse like you're on a, a Sunday day out. What's all that about? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem now. Football football's become a day out. That's that's the thing now. But the thing is, people, people can they pay they pay the money. I argue against it all the time. I hate when people leave early, especially when we're losing or we're drawing or we're one up. At the end of the day, people can and will do what they want. Uh, if I had if I had my choice, I'd lock the gates and I'd glue bums <laughs> to seats, all that type of stuff. But we can't. We can't, so we've just got to accept it. But I think what the club maybe can do better to stop people from from leaving early would be improve the transport. Um, they've done they've done good. They've got the metro link now going. Maybe put more trams on. Maybe make queues better. Maybe speak to Greater Manchester Transport in terms of roads. Try and make things easier. Getting out so people don't leave because of traffic. Get rid of the family stand completely so you haven't got a a, a massive condensed area that just empties at 85 minutes because the kids need to go home on a Champions League night or something like that. If you've got that spread out across the ground, it doesn't look as bad and it doesn't seem as bad to the players who might be looking towards the the, uh, the family stand with five minutes to go needing a goal, seeing it half empty every single week and every single midweek. Uh, if we could do that, that'd be great. Just get rid of the family stand. Um, put it in tier three or something or just just obliterate it completely um, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. oh, you know what charge, charge an exit fee right build this pot buy Mbappe and we don't have to sell Sterling charge an exit fee right. 250 right. get out the right. ground uh, we'll get Adam really in again <laughs> as soon as possible to continue on this type of debate um, thanks very much for forthright opinion tonight because there's been a lot to talk about a lot to get through Tories disagree with us a lot if, tonight if you, <laughs> <laughs> for you, sat there. you sat nowhere near us tonight <laughs> if, if you agree with You're something you've heard <laughs> if you disagree with something <laughs> you've kidding. heard don't make it personal you know because we're all entitled to our views but you, you tell us your views and we will reflect them in future podcasts as well and we will always discuss all these topics thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk who are the sponsors of the podcast who of course is a chartered mortgage advisor thanks very much to Tameside Radio thanks very much to Harlan to Adam and to Tony and Will who's the quiet man who sits in the corner and does oh. the filming sometimes you hear Will on the podcast as well we'll be back with another podcast podcast uh, which we'll record next Sunday night so that should go live Sunday evening after the Newcastle game on the Saturday uh, just remember it is only a game and whatever happens win draw or lose as I always tell me vlog yes, it's great to be a blue. blue it is indeed see you next time <laughs> <laughs>